0: So, 2019, right? So let me ask you this. When you get to ending one year and you start a new year, does it make you kind of stop and take inventory of where you are in your life? Do you do that? Do you look back? Do you ever look back on your life at the the things that have kind of directed your path? Maybe the big things. There's always some big things. But most of the time, God uses such tiny little insignificant things to direct our paths. For example... Have I ever told you how I met my wife? We were in high school. We were in the orchestra together in high school. She played violin, I played the trumpet. Freshman year, at the end of the freshman year, we had not paid attention to each other at all, the whole freshman year. But at the end of the freshman year was a concert, orchestra concert. It was an evening concert, and we all got dressed up. And I got to the band room right on schedule so I could get upstairs to get my instrument, get my music. And when I got there, the door was locked. Uh, And all the 50, 60 students were standing around outside because the band director was late. He was never late. But on this night, he was late, and the door was locked. And we were standing out there in the dark, except for one light up above this old industrial light over the top of the door. That's all we had. And while I was standing there minding my own business, I saw Joni. She was standing under that light like like an angel in the beams of heaven. (laughs) And then something happened to my eyes. They got stuck. I couldn't take my eyes off of her. And then she looked right at me. And our eyes met. And it was love at first sight. It was for me. And I could tell she was impressed with me. Because I had on my brand new sport coat. I was looking smooth. And I could tell. I could tell she liked what she was seeing. And just then the band director showed up and spoiled the moment. But that moment gave me the courage to say, if I ever get up enough courage, I'm going to ask that girl out. (laughs) A year and a half later, (laughs) I did ask her out. And we had a date and another date. And we dated all the way through high school and through college. And then we got married. And I've often wondered, would I have noticed her if the band director had been on time, if that door hadn't been locked? By the way, much later while we were dating, I asked her one time, hey, Joni, remember remember that night? At the band room, the door was locked. I had my sport coat. I was looking sharp. Remember that? And I looked at you, and you looked at me. Remember that? She had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> Not a thing. She didn't remember the sport coat. She didn't remember me. Nothing from freshman year. Clearly, clearly, love at first sight was on my, on my side. Clearly on my side. But the point is, we just never know what God is going to use and when he's going to do it to direct our path and to change our lives. And tonight we start the book of Ruth, where we're going to see how God works through circumstances and through people to accomplish his will and in some cases change the world. If you love a really good story, you picked a great night to come to church. Let's pray together. Father, before we open your word, we are reminded it is your word. These are your thoughts. This is your heart speaking to ours. Father, I pray we give you our complete and undivided attention. Open our eyes to see your truth. Open our hearts to receive it. Open our minds to fill them with your thoughts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to the book of Ruth. Ruth is the eighth book of the Old Testament. And here's how I learned it in Sunday school. You know, there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the first five books. And then the next three are Joshua judges Ruth. And my Sunday school teacher taught me to remember it that way because Joshua judges Ruth. Joshua shouldn't be judging Ruth, but that's how I remember it. Joshua judges Ruth. Eighth book of the Old Testament. How many read the book of Ruth or at least one time this week? Yeah? Did you like it? Wasn't it amazing? It takes about... If you missed it, you think, like, oh, I forgot to do that. You can go home tonight, read it, read it tomorrow. It's 85 verses. Today we're going to do a quick overview of the book and then cover chapter 1. And about midnight we'll be out. There are only two books in the Old Testament that are named after women. Esther, that we've already covered in the book of Ruth. Ruth is unique because Ruth is a Gentile. Ruth is from the land of Moab and ruth 's name is not mentioned anywhere else in any other Old Testament book, but her name is mentioned one time in the New Testament in a list of great honor matthew one one it 'll be up on the screen for you matthew one one we read this <laughs> the record of the genealogy of Jesus the messiah here 's the genealogy of Jesus Messiah. If we look down to verse five and the part of verse six, verse five and six, eight we read. Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And there she is. And then, of course, Ruth, uh, Obed is the father of Jesse, who was the father of David the king. And on it goes to Jesus the Messiah. Ruth probably lived about 1,100 years uh, before Jesus was born. Ruth's name means friend or companion. She proves to be perfectly named. The author of the book of Ruth is not identified, but most scholars think it was the prophet Samuel that wrote the book about the time that King David was reigning. The story of Ruth takes place in two key regions of the ancient world, in Bethlehem and in Moab. Looking up here at the map, you'll see that Jerusalem, I mean, Jerusalem is there on on your left, And Bethlehem is a few miles south of Jerusalem, if you can see Bethlehem there. Bethlehem would later be called the City of David, of course, named after Ruth's great grandson, King David. And then Jesus, the Messiah, made Bethlehem rather famous on Christmas Day when he was born there. Moab is that mountainous kingdom east of Bethlehem, on the other side of the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea. It's what would be modern Jordan today. Moab is mentioned a lot in the Old Testament as an ongoing enemy of Israel. Moab worshipped idols. They did not worship the one true God. Their their chief deity was Chemosh, who liked to have the people sacrifice children and others to him, animal and human sacrifices. The story of Ruth takes place in a period of time the Bible calls the time of the Judges. And the time of the judges was around 1370 to 1041 BC. This was long before Israel had a king. And during this time of the judges, which is a little over 300 years, the the people of Israel failed repeatedly to obey the Lord. So God raised up judges or uh, deliverers to lead his people when they repented of their sin and came back to the Lord. The judges were people like Gideon. Samson and Deborah, not Judge Judy. <laughs> the entire story in the book of Ruth covers a time span of about 11 to 12 years. There are only 85 verses. It's a very short but very full, full story. Here's the major theme of the book of Ruth. The major theme is, it's wonderful, God uses seemingly unimportant people and apparently Insignificant times to accomplish his will in perfect ways. That's the theme of this book. The book of Ruth shows us we never know who or what God is going to use to change our lives and how he might use you and me to change somebody else's life. We just never know. For example, I'm standing here tonight because 55 years ago, Fifty-five years ago, a seemingly unimportant person named Rosie, Roselva, Rosie, a simple church secretary, called my mom on the phone to invite my mom, my dad, my brother, and I to come to church. We were not a church-going family at that time. In fact, Rosie, I think, had invited our family once or twice before this, and my dad always very firmly said no. But this time she called and we went. And we kept going. And I heard about Jesus at that church. And on March 30th, 1964, I asked Jesus to be my Savior. Our whole family was saved. My mom, my dad, my brother and I. Because Rosie, Rosie made a phone call that set things in motion for us to meet Jesus. A phone call. Rosie and Ruth prove that God uses little people to do big work. And it's good for us to stay little and stay humble before the Lord so he can use us too. The book of Ruth is so encouraging, especially, especially if you're going through difficult times. The book of Ruth shows us that God is always working in our lives, even when we're not aware of him. Even when we're being disobedient, God is working. And even when life gets really hard, God is working. Here's the outline for Ruth chapter 1. First five verses are about hitting rock bottom and then returning to the Lord for the rest of the chapter. Hitting rock bottom and returning to the Lord pretty much describes the history of the people of Israel and probably, if we're honest, your life and my life too. So let's read how this powerful story unfolds and we're going to take it just a few verses at a time. Ruth one one. Are you ready? I'm excited. This is so good. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and two sons. Okay, the day of Judges we talked about was a dark time for Israel. The book of Judges explains why it was such a dark time. In Judges 17, verse 6, we read something very sad. It's repeated often in the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That was what was going on. Every person just did what they thought was right in their own eyes. They weren't interested in obeying the Lord. Ruth's time period sounds like our time period, doesn't it? We should be able to relate with this story. And God promised his people that they would always have an abundance if they obeyed him. So the fact that there's a famine in in the land seems to suggest that the people of Israel were once again living in disobedience to the Lord. And because of the famine, a certain man of Bethlehem left town with his wife and two sons. Here's exactly what they look like as they hit the road. Exactly what they look like. No doubt. The name Bethlehem, interestingly, means house of bread. House of bread. But there, during the famine, there was no bread. Food was scarce. So this certain man decided to sojourn with his family in Moab. Sojourn means to travel with the intention of returning. So this was a short-term trip. Let's think about this together. Things were bad in Judah, so this man thought he should leave God's promised land and take his family to Moab to live among the pagan enemies of his people. Was this a good plan? Any steps, any steps you and I take away from God for whatever reason are always steps in the wrong direction. Whatever, sometimes they think, oh, I got a good reason. Whatever our reason, any step we take away from God that puts us further away from God is always a step in the wrong direction. But we've probably all felt like this certain man of Bethlehem, haven't we? When things get really hard, really difficult, Have we ever wished we could just run away? Annie, we talked about that last night, remember? Don't you wish sometimes you could just run away? Let's learn more about this family. Verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Milan and Chilean. They were Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Elimelech's name means, my God is king. My God is king. He likely came from devout parents that worshiped the Lord, but here Elimelech is leading his family away from God. His wife's name, Naomi, means pleasant. And they have two sons. Let me ask you a question. If you have children, or even if you have pets and no children, did you go through a process to name them? Did you give what you wanted to name your children or your dear pets a lot of thought? Let's see what Elimelech and Naomi named their boys. They named one child Milan, which in the Hebrew means sickness. There's a perfect name for somebody, sickness. And they named the other boy Chilian, which in the Hebrew means pining or heartbroken. You know, if you name your children sickness and heartbroken, it tells you a little something about your family and especially your outlook. These four people are Ephrathites, which means they are from the land of the area of Bethlehem. Ephrath is the ancient name of Bethlehem. Elimelech has gone to Moab to escape a famine because he is doing what is right in his own eyes. So what do we think? Are things going to get better or worse for this family? Verse 3. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. We can't say for certain this was God's judgment on Elimelech, but here's what is certain. Running away to Moab did not make things better for his family. Elimelech died, and he left his wife and his two sons without a provider in godless enemy territory. Wow. There's a valuable lesson here for you and I about trying to run away from our problems. And here's the lesson wherever you go there you are wherever you go there you are this means no matter where we run we take ourselves along so our problems come right along with us we take them right with us so when we run from our troubles all we do is change our scenery we change the scenery we do not change the trouble not a bit we all get scared We all get scared and feel like running. And running is a very, very good thing to do if we run toward the Lord. Running toward the Lord is the best thing you can do when you feel like running instead of away from him. When we're distressed, when we're under stress and and sorrow, the best thing we can do is bring our problems to God, not hold on to them, not try to escape from them, and certainly not try to do what we think is right in our own eyes. So after Elimelech died, what did Naomi do? I hope she went straight back to Bethlehem and took her boys with her. Let's read. Verse 4. They, the two sons, uh, took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Their sojourn, their temporary trip to Moab, turned into a 10-year stay where they put down roots. What a lesson. What an incredible lesson for you and me. If, if we think we can just sojourn or just dabble in sin, we're mistaken. That sin is going to take root in our lives. So the boys grew up and they married Moabite women. Was this a good plan? God commanded them over and over again not to marry people from the idol-worshiping nations. But these boys, like their father, just did what seemed right in their own eyes. Chilean married Orpa. Remember, the name Chilean means broken-hearted. Orpa means stubborn. So broken-hearted married stubborn. Doesn't exactly sound like a match made in heaven, does it? Milan, whose name means sickness, married Ruth, whose name means friend or companion. Sounds like a better pairing. So, do both these couples live happily ever after? Verse 5. Then both Milan and Chilean also died, and the woman, Naomi, was bereft of her two children and her husband. Man. To be a childless widow at that time was to be one of the lowest classes of people in the ancient world. When you were a childless widow, it meant you had to rely on strangers for handouts so you could survive. In Moab, Naomi lost everything, absolutely everything that mattered to her. She lost her husband. She lost her children. And any real means to support herself. She hit rock bottom. And she learned a valuable but a painful lesson. Here's the lesson. You don't know that God is all you need until God is all you got. Sometimes we get there, don't we? We don't realize that our Lord Jesus is all we need until Jesus is really all you got. Let's see what Naomi does now with this revelation in verse 6 and 7. Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So the famine was over in Judah. So she departed from the place where she was, her and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Here is exactly what that looked like as they headed out of Moab toward Judah. The famine was over. The famine they went to Judah for is over. Naomi learned while she was in Moab that God was once again showing his grace and mercy to his people. And Naomi desperately, desperately needed the grace and mercy of God. Grace and mercy are exactly what Naomi's going to find. And grace and mercy from God is exactly what you and I find when we repent of our sins and return to him. Any step we take, maybe Naomi was fickle and leaving and now she's coming back, but this is another truth. Any step, any step you and I take for whatever reason toward God is a step in the right direction. Verses 8 and 9. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of, her, each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead, meaning her sons that died, and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Wow, these women loved each other so much. They were bonded. But Naomi knew that her Moabite daughters-in-law would not be welcomed in Bethlehem. So she encouraged them to stay in Moab where they could get remarried. Did you notice in verse 9 how Naomi described marriage? Look at verse 9 again. She says, May the Lord grant that you may find rest in the house of your husband. What a blessing it is. What a blessing it is when, when our marriage gives us peace and rest and refreshment. Verse 10 And Orpah and Ruth said to Naomi, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. These sweet daughters-in-law loved Naomi so much they were willing to leave their life behind and go with her. But Naomi loved them even more. So she wants to impress on her daughters-in-law why going with her would be a really bad idea for them. Let's read verses 11 to 13. But Naomi said... Return, my daughters, why should you go with me? Have I sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. According to the ancient law of Israel, if a young woman was widowed, if a young woman is widowed without having had a son, then one of the deceased husband's brothers was responsible for becoming a surrogate father to give that widow a son. So Naomi tells her daughters in law, I have no more sons to give you. You have no more marriage prospects from me. Furthermore, Naomi says, the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. She means, I've got nothing for you. I'm broke. She's got nothing. If you come with me, if you come with me, girls, your life is going to be so, so hard. Verse 14. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. What a scene. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Here's this picture was painted at the moment this happened. Both of these young ladies loved their mother-in-law so dearly, but they each had their own future to think about. Orpah decided Naomi was right. It's time for her to go back to her people, so she very sadly, brokenheartedly kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth, Ruth would not let go. Ruth wouldn't have it. Ruth would not let go. So, Naomi tries one more tactic, one more tactic to try to convince Ruth to stay in Moab. Look at verse 15. Then Naomi said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi is resorting to peer pressure, right? Peer pressure. She says, Ruth, look, open your eyes. Look what your sister-in-law is doing. She's going back to the only life she and you have ever known. You need to go with her. You need to wise up, Ruth. Open your eyes. You've got to go like your sister-in-law. You've got to go. Do you ever feel pressured to do something because other people are doing it? Like Ruth, when you and I decide we are going to follow the Lord, we're often going to find ourselves going a different direction than other people. Just how that works out. Let's read Ruth's eloquent and famous response to Naomi, verses 16 to 18. Ah, so beautiful. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, Naomi said no more to her about this matter. Wow. Let's think about what Ruth could have said. Ruth could have said, okay, Naomi, I get it. I should go with my sister-in-law. But before I decide to go with you or not, could you give me a little more information? What's Bethlehem like? What's our house like? Will I have my own room? Is there somewhere in Bethlehem where I can go to get a really good Moab burger? But Ruth didn't need information. Ruth had everything she needed in Naomi and Naomi's God. Ruth isn't interested in a sojourn. Ruth isn't interested in a temporary move to Judah. This was a move for life. She was, Ruth was all in. What faith. What loyalty. What love. I hope we see something here. Naomi, she was far from perfect. She was going through a really bad time. But there was something, there was something in Naomi's relationship with the Lord that made Ruth want to know and serve her God. I hope there is something in my life and in your life that others see that makes them want to know and serve the Lord. Verse 19. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. Let's pause there for a moment to look at the map to see where they went. You can see that red line. The journey to Bethlehem was about 70 miles. So that would take you and I about an hour in an Uber, right? Well, they didn't have Uber. They walked. Naomi and Ruth walked. And there was a lot of mountainous steep terrain. So the trip they took by foot probably took them a week to 10 days. Okay, let's read, let's read 19 again and go on through 21. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came about when they had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Here again is exactly what it looked like when they got into town. Exactly what it looked like. Bethlehem was a small village. One of those small towns where everybody knew everybody. So word spread fast. Naomi, who has been gone for so long, I'm sure some people thought she was dead, or some people thought they would never see her again. But all of a sudden, she's back. She's in town. The whole town was buzzing. And the women, we have no idea what the men were saying, but the women were saying, is this Naomi? You know, I think we all know that hardship and stress can really change our appearance, can't it? So maybe Naomi, as she left town 10 years ago, a much healthier woman came back looking like she'd aged a lot more than those 10 years. It's quite possible with the hardship she had had. Some women probably ask the question with excitement, is this Naomi? They probably remember her as a great friend and neighbor. They were excited to see her. Oh my gosh, she's back, how wonderful. I have a feeling a lot of other women said it with some bitterness. They were probably angry. That Naomi left town. She escaped the judgment of God. She ran away from the judgment of God while they stayed and faced the famine in Bethlehem. By the way, I kind of identify with Naomi here because I go through this now every time I go to the airport. If you remember just up to a very short time ago, I had shoulder length hair. Well, my driver's license photo, which was taken much more than 10 years ago, has really long hair and no beard. So every time I go through TSA, they really scrutinize. And they're like, is that you? Is it? you know, so I know exactly what you felt like. Okay, that's a little bit of a rabbit trail. Back on track. Naomi says to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. The name Naomi means pleasant, but Mara means bitter or sorrowful. Bitter or sorrowful. Call me sorry, call me sad, call me devastated. We can relate with Naomi here, can't we? Tragedy. Tragedy isn't pleasant. You and I don't feel pleasant when we're going through tragedy. Tragedy is devastating. She was devastated. Naomi said she went out full. She had a husband and her sons. She had everything she wanted when she left. But the Lord has brought her back empty. Naomi lost her family and likely all the wealth they took with them to Moab. But her spirit is empty too. Spirit is empty too. We feel empty when all we can see is our circumstances. You and I, we're going to feel empty when all we can see is our circumstances. We feel empty when all we can see is what we lost. If that's all we see, of course we're going to be empty. Only by faith, only by faith can we look beyond our situation to trust our God, even in the very, very, very worst of times. Only by faith can we look past our circumstances to trust God in the very worst of times. But Naomi had been gone from the Lord for quite a while, so perhaps her faith had gone cold. She couldn't see God at work except for feeling the judgment of God. Naomi thought she was empty. But was she empty? Let's look ahead. Ruth chapter 4. Verses 13 to 15. Pastor Mark is going to brilliantly cover this in three weeks. But we just need to look ahead because she's come to town saying, I'm empty. Let's see. Let's see if she's empty or not. Ruth 4, verses 13 to 15. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women, all those women that were talking before, they're talking again. And the women said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. Naomi, you're not empty. You're full. You have a grandson. You have an heir. May his name become famous in Israel. Well, I think so. This baby's lineage leads to King David and Jesus the Messiah. Yeah, I think so. Verse 15, they say, May he also give you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. Naomi, you thought you lost everything, but God has given you someone you never expected, and that person's going to take care of you now and for the rest of your life. Your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you, is better to you than seven sons. You lost two sons, but Ruth is better than seven sons. Naomi, we have to see this. Naomi came back broken. She came back broken, but not empty. When we're in sin, when we make wrong choices, it breaks us. But we're never empty when we have the Lord. Never empty when we have the Lord. By the way, did you notice what the Word of God declares in chapter 4, verse 15? You see that? One faithful woman is better than seven men. Ladies, you always knew that was true, didn't you? Always known, haven't you? Always known. Let's turn back to chapter 1. We'll close with the final verse that gives us a quick recap of the situation where we are. Chapter 1, verse 22. So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem, at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi has returned from her sojourn away from God. She's back with him, and she brought Ruth with him to meet her Lord. We're reminded that Ruth is a Moabitess. It mentions it a couple of times here to remind us she's a Gentile. This little fact, this is a preview. This is a little preview of what God is going to do in Bethlehem when Jesus comes to be born to to save Jew and Gentile alike. It's beautiful. And as the Lord would have it, Naomi and Ruth get into town when? At the start of barley harvest. Why is that important? Because it means that a man named Boaz is going to be out in his field when Ruth comes to glean. In ancient times, the poor were allowed to follow behind the harvesters to glean or collect whatever bits of of grain that were left over. So what happens when Boaz sees Ruth for the first time? What happens when he sees Ruth for the first time? Come back next week. (laughs) Chapter 1 leaves you and I with something to think about, something serious to think about. We met three key people in this passage. We met Elimelech, Naomi, and Ruth. So, which one are you? Which one are you tonight? Are you Elimelech? Are you running from your troubles tonight? Are you heading away from God? If you are, how do you think that's going to turn out for you? Your best move, your only hope, is to end your sojourn away from God, turn around, and come back to the God who will welcome you with open arms. Or, are you Naomi tonight? Do you feel broken and empty? Are you in desperate need of grace and mercy from God? God loves you so much. His grace and mercy will overflow your life in ways you cannot possibly imagine. Take your eyes off your circumstances and focus on the Lord. Or, are you Ruth? Have you experienced enough in the world to know the only place you want to be is with the Lord, serving the Lord for the rest of your life? If you're Ruth, today, please go find Elimelech or Naomi. Come alongside them as a true friend. Be that seemingly unimportant person that God will use at an apparently insignificant time to accomplish his perfect will in that person's life.